Business banking shouldn't feel like another transaction. UMass 5's Commercial Services Division is comprised of business owners, so when it's time to make crucial decisions, we're ready with advice drawn from hands-on experience. Contact Jeff Simpson, CFA, at 413-256-5560 or visit umass5.coop slash business. Hello, and welcome to Business Talk, presented by Business West and Living Local and brought to you by UMass 5's Commercial Services Division. Hi, I'm Chris Kellogg from the Kellogg Crew Morning Show on 94.7 WMAS, and here's your host of this edition of Business Talk. He's the editor and associate publisher of Business West. Here's George O'Brien. Thank you very much, Chris. Good morning, everyone. Our guest today is Mark Kerouac. He is the president and CEO of Bay State Health. How are you this morning, Mark? I'm doing well, George. Nice to be here. Well, thank you for being with us this morning. We have a lot to talk about, and and the list just grew a little bit bigger uh, from what I've seen. The announcement just came down that the the Big E will not be staged this year. Uh, This is a tremendous blow for this region and its business community, obviously, but from a public health perspective, uh, this seemed like the right decision and and maybe the obvious decision. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I, I talked with Gene Cassidy a couple of weeks ago, and I know he agonized about this. They had a number of thoughtful ideas about how to limit spread, but it is a gigantic crowd, and uh, they would need to sort of enforce social distancing and masking in multiple different locations. They were getting ready to stop the parades and the concerts and whatnot. I mean, to me, uh, the thing that would have tipped it if I were making the decision is the amount of virus that's still circulating in the rest of the country. And you'd be having people coming in from all over America to the Big E, and it really would be a risky situation, I think. Well, let, let's talk about the rest of the country here for, for, for just a minute. Um, we're going to talk about the virus and, and the state of the virus here as opposed to the rest of the country. Just looking at it objectively, we seem to be doing pretty good in this state and this region. Virus, obviously not under control, but maybe we have flattened that curve a little bit. Talk about the numbers in Western Massachusetts and, and the state as a whole. Yeah, Massachusetts is doing extremely well. There are only four states in the country that have been seeing a steady decline in cases, Massachusetts, Connecticut, New York, and New Jersey, and we've done well. And within Massachusetts, the Western four counties Uh, have done the best in terms of getting the uh, cases down and keeping them down for the uh, most quickly uh, and for the longest time. Uh, Right now uh, at Bay State, we we are uh, seeing fewer than 20 cases on any given day. And uh, all of those are at uh, the Springfield campus and we're seeing nothing in the community campuses in Westfield, Franklin and uh, Uh, Palmer. And uh, we're testing 300 to 400 people a day in six different sites. And we have a test positivity rate of uh, less than 2%, which means there's still virus around, but not a lot of it. And what people are doing around masking and social distancing and disinfection seems to be working. Now you contrast that with, you know, 30 other states that are seeing an increase and a dozen or so that are seeing record new cases each day. Um, 
And uh, it's a very different story. You test positivity rates in some of the south and southwestern states are in excess of 10%. Uh, and so the virus is completely out of control. We're seeing over 40,000 new cases every day in the country. What, what are we doing right uh, that other states are, are not? Well, I think very early on, uh, we had consistent and steady leadership. I think Governor Baker, uh, Mayor Sarno, the legislative delegation uh, worked in a bipartisan way so that the whole messaging around social distancing, masking, hand washing, disinfection did not become politicized. It didn't become some sort of badge of honor that you know you could run around without a mask. And uh, while it was, it's not been universally adopted, the great majority of people, I think, trusted the leadership and followed the guidance. And not surprisingly, it works. Uh, I'll give you a, an example from another country. This is, I, I just read this this morning. Uh, the country of Taiwan, has got 24 million people and uh, much more crowded than the United States. And they got the virus earlier than we did. And yet they've had only 500 cases and seven deaths as a country since the beginning because they adopted all these measures almost universally and almost without question. Now, the United States is not nearly as regimented as that society, uh, but the more and more we do this, the better and better we're going to be. And this is still the, the first wave, if you will. People are, are already talking second wave. This is still the first wave, correct? Well, it's a bunch of little waves all across the country. You know, the, uh, there, there's a, the wave is kind of hopefully reaching its height in places like Texas and Arizona and Florida. It's just beginning to crest in some of the plain states like Kansas and Iowa. Uh, and hopefully we're past it in New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts and Connecticut. Now, there still are not enough people that are immune to this virus that it couldn't come back, either if we let down our guard or if we get an influx of individuals, you know, from other areas. Okay, this is Business Talk, a podcast presented by Business West and Living Local, sponsored today by UMass Vives Commercial Services Division. We're talking today with Mark Kerouac, President and CEO of Bay State Health, and we're talking about uh, this state as opposed to some of the other states across the country. Uh, Mark, what the the surging in uh, some of these other states. Are there warning signs for this state or are there, there things that we need to be paying attention to or what are we I taking that, from those numbers? They, they are scary. A lot of these numbers from Texas and Florida and Arizona, some of these other states. Yeah, I think that they did not implement the guidelines as rigorously as Massachusetts. The messages got sort of uh, muddled and politicized. Um, and they didn't do testing as aggressively or contract tracing as aggressively as we did. We, sadly, we don't have any magic bullets for this virus. It's old-fashioned quarantining and, you know, disinfection and stuff. So uh, it, it, it's, it's not as if we have some magic drug or vaccine at this point. Uh, and those other states um, really have made a political fight out of what should be basic public health guidance. Interesting. Masks seem to be an issue in, in some of these states. Uh, masks are, are not an issue here. Masks are being politicized as well. Uh, do we see any movement on that front toward masks 
uh, becoming more regulated, becoming more of the way we live uh, moving forward, or is this going to continue to be a problem? I think it continues to be a political battle. You look at Florida, where the governor initially uh, was um, bragging about the fact that they were going to be able to reopen without seeing a resurgence of cases, and then it happened, and yet he didn't um, uh, do anything more strict than some rather vague guidance. Uh, some of the local jurisdictions like Miami-Dade County uh, uh, really uh, put things uh, down much more strictly. And there's been all kinds of local fights about this. Um, in Arizona, for example, the governor uh, passed a rule to forbid local jurisdictions from requiring masks, and he's just backed away from that. So it continues to be some kind of strange badge of honor, some sort of libertarian statement, when in fact it should be a statement of, you know, respect for other people and uh, willingness to work as a community. Now, you were on the state's uh, reopening advisory board. I believe I have that name right. And correct. you're still working on that advisory board, correct? Your work is not done with that panel? Or? It's mostly sunsetted. Okay. I think that the board came together. It was a multidisciplinary group of 17 people. Uh, and they basically set the, the overarching framework of a phased approach uh, with data, uh, public health data, to determine the movement from one phase to another. It's now... Uh, gone to very specialized guidance, like the reopening of the schools, for example, just came out this week, um, and the reopening of uh, higher education. Uh, so there's some very specialized groups that are working on their particular rules, but within the broader context that the board set up. Now, when it comes to reopening, uh, the, the greatest fear that most businesses had, and that I think the advisory board members had as well, was that the state would reopen there would be problems and we would have to shut down aspects of the economy. Again, we're seeing that in other states. Uh, so right. far, we have not had as many problems as they had. Uh, our governor drew a lot of praise, some criticism for not opening some businesses as early as perhaps some would have liked. Uh, but so far, it seems to be working. I've, I've got some wood to knock on here, and I'm sure you do, too. Do you <laughs> want to talk about the reopening to date and, and what phase three is, what, a week, two weeks away? Yeah, I, I think a, a number of states have backtracked. Uh, I think Oregon uh, has had to backtrack as well. To me, the key toward maintaining a slow but steady forward progress is getting people to accept what appears to, to most of us to be strange new rules, uh, going to a restaurant and having, you know, plexiglass and plastic uh, tableware and uh, servers wearing masks and all that sort of thing. Um, it's a different experience than it was before COVID. And it's awfully tempting to just say the hell with it all and go back to the way it was six months ago. But that would be the one thing we could do that would guarantee us to go backwards. And that's something we obviously don't want to do here. Okay, this is Business Talk, a podcast presented by Business West and Living Local, sponsored today by UMass 5's Commercial Services Division. We're talking today with Mark Kerouac. He's the president and CEO of Bay State Health. We've been talking about the pandemic, uh, the reopening plan. Uh, Mark, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about hospitals. Every facet of our economy, every sector of the economy has been hit and hit hard by the pandemic, and hospitals are certainly uh, no exception to that rule. Talk about the way hospitals have been impacted financially and otherwise. 
Well, I think early on we realized that we needed to build capacity for a surge of patients so that we didn't get overwhelmed like they were in New York City. And so we shut things down in the middle of March, uh, which really blew a hole in everybody's finances. Um, We've been gradually uh, returning to prior operations. Uh, We've always remained open, of course, Um, but it was just a week or two ago that we uh, um, resumed uh, more elective kinds of cases. The overall losses to the state are staggering. Uh, the, they estimate that it's between five and six billion dollars that the state's hospital industry is going to lose um, by the end of this fiscal year, by the end of September. And the numbers for Bay State do kind of reflect that. I mean, we're the largest employer in the area. We employ 12,000 people and have an economic impact of 4.2 billion each year on the local economy. Um, our losses, we estimate by September 30th, we will have lost about 160 million. Uh, now, fortunately, we've picked up about 100 million in relief, uh, 75 from the federal government and 22 or 23 from the states. Uh, and uh, so the rest of that will likely be covered by reserves. Uh, so it is a it is a big stress test, if you will, uh, for hospitals, and some have been hurt more than others. Yeah, the smaller hospitals would seem to have been hurt more than the larger hospitals. How do yeah. they survive this you know, stress the, test? The, the smaller hospitals that have cash flow problems got hurt very hard because they didn't have much in the way of reserves. But the other group are the big hospitals that are um, highly specialized, like Mass General, where uh, their revenues really depended on that elective surgical volume. So uh, it, it was two groups. The hospitals that had that were a bit more of a jack of all trades, like Bay State, uh, and of good size, uh, uh, were hit less hard. Not to say that it was pleasant what we've been through. Okay, so those numbers, again, like you said, uh, the smaller hospitals have hurt hard, but the larger hospitals have hurt even more than that. Have people started to return to the hospital, to the emergency room for elective surgery? I've heard from some hospital presidents that, that, that no, people have still not ready to come back yet. And this is going to exacerbate this problem and, and keep it going moving forward. People just not willing to go back to the hospital yet. Yeah, well, we uh, at Bay State Medical Center in Springfield, we're at about 80 to 90 percent of uh, capacity. So I would say people are mostly back. Uh, Emergency room volumes continue to be depressed and uh, some outpatient volumes are lower. Uh, Part of it is uh, just people putting off routine care, but part of it is the fact that we've implemented a number of things to keep people safe, like social distancing and not congregating people in waiting rooms and things like that. So it's slowed down things a little bit. In our community hospitals, they're a bit further behind, more like 60% or so of the the former volume. Um, The question in the long run is, will the volumes be permanently depressed? Will people, uh, and, and we've been doing our best to convince people that you really don't want to put off stuff that we know is worthwhile in terms of preventive care, uh, nor do you want to ignore symptoms that might be serious. Uh, We have seen a number of cases of people with much more serious illness than we think would have happened in the pre-COVID days. And this is one of the things that people talk about when they talk about the cost of the pandemic. Uh, They talk about the the costs that are going to come down the road uh, when people who had health problems or respiratory problems who should have gone to the hospital 
and didn't. Uh, so how are the hospitals working to, to get people back in? I know there's been some messaging that's been going out. I don't know how effective it's been. What are we yeah, going to I'm not sure up? either, George. I, I don't know. I mean, we've done these public service announcements. Uh, we are reaching out individually to patients who we know have chronic diseases. Um, and um, I think it's going to take, you know, like, like any sort of social decision, there are going to be the people early on who are totally comfortable. And then there'll be a, a, some stragglers who, you know, are going to take a lot of convincing. So I think it is going to be a process. And uh, we may not return to former volumes um, until we have a vaccine and everyone feels totally comfortable. And it's possible with the emergence of some of these virtual approaches like telemedicine, telehealth, uh, that we may never return to our former volume. So we will have found a substitute way of getting getting the work done. Hmm. Let's talk uh, just a second about uh, the second surge, if you will, the second wave. When people talk about this coming in the fall, the winter, perhaps, uh, what what are you anticipating for this? Is there any way to forecast when this might come? Talk about how we might be better ready for that. Certainly we'll be better, better ready for that than we were for the first wave. Um, yeah, I think we're certainly prepared for a surge to come at any time. I think trying to forecast it is uh, tougher than trying to forecast the weather. So I, I would not put my neck out and say I'm expecting one in this or that month. But we are ready. We can, you know, almost in a heartbeat go from our current 20-bed capacity to the 200 bed capacity that we had at the height of the epidemic. We've stockpiled personal protective equipment. We've ramped up testing, et cetera. Uh, the problem is if everyone surges at once across the country, it puts a strain on our supply chain, both for protective equipment and testing. So far, we've been able to keep up with it, uh, but and, and the manufacturers have uh, ramped up as well. Uh, but you know, uh, you, you end up being somewhat nervous that if everyone surged at once, uh, it would be worrisome. Now, you and I were talking earlier about um, an unrelated matter, and you said that Bay State had a number of different learning experiences, if you will, from that first wave, uh, procedures, ways to treat these patients, perhaps uh, some of them even cutting edge that other hospitals can learn from. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, there were a couple of things where um, areas where we had invested uh, bore fruit, and uh, I'll tell you about a couple of them. The first was we had a young uh, infectious disease physician who was interested in these novel uh, uh, infectious agents, and uh, she persuaded us to build an Ebola treatment unit back in 2014, um, and we were one of 10 federally funded sites where an Ebola patient could come and be cared for, a two-bed unit. Um, and she formed a small team of people that kept an eye on these things. And they were interested in Zika when that came along and SARS when that came along, both of them false alarms for Western Mass. Uh, but they jumped on this thing relatively early and they were issuing advice to travelers back in January. Um, they actually quarantined uh, a healthcare worker from Wuhan, China with a fever uh, in early February that could have been patient zero, you know, for Western Mass. And uh, they had formed an epidemic preparedness team back in early March, weeks before we even had our first case. So we were kind of tuned in and wired 
to jump on this. And uh, as you probably know, Dr. Artenstein, our chief physician, and I uh, went to the editorial board of the Republican to sound the alarm bell um, days before we even had our first case. So that's that's one area where I think you know we reap the benefit of some. Uh, advanced planning. The other is, you know, being an academic medical center, we have a number of young doctors who are interested in asking questions about the status quo. Is there a better way to do things? Um, there was a young doctor, Lauren Westhaver, from our emergency department, who in the early part of April saw that we were really intubating a lot of people, putting them on ventilators, because that was the accepted um, guidance. The uh, uh, coming out of New York, unfortunately, the death rate for a person once intubated is roughly 80%. And she began to ask, is there a better way and started interacting with people on social media and looking at small case studies. And within a couple of days was able to persuade not only her colleagues in the emergency department, but our critical care doctors that trying to avoid intubating patients, putting them on their stomach uh, and giving them high flow oxygen was a way to avoid intubation. And so we uh, had the lowest rate of ventilator usage in the state. And it enabled us to keep the number of ICU patients low. And so that when people came out to ask if we wanted to build a field hospital at the Mass Mutual Center, we said, no thanks, we think we've got it covered. So um, having those, you know, those physicians kind of interested in this and and basically enabling them to speak up and make changes uh, helped us to get a jump on this. Okay. I think that bodes well for next time as well. Thanks very much for having me, George. I uh, hope it was helpful. And, uh, you know, I was, I actually wanted to thank uh, the people of Western Massachusetts for putting up with all the uh, difficulties related to the, uh, to the social distancing and masking. It's, you know, I think as a community, we, we deserve a pat on the back as well. Okay. Thank you very much. I think we do too. Well, Mark, we're out of time. Thank you very much for being with us today. Very insightful, as always. Thanks for listening, and remember to join us next time for another episode of Business West Business Talk, presented in partnership with Living Local and sponsored by UMass 5's Commercial Services Division.